Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. It's me, your friend Joe. I know it's been a little bit, but for real, we're back. You were just listening to Cinderblock. Cinderblock was a band from the early 1990s that featured Tim Redman and Scott Vogel on vocals and Dennis Merrick on drums, along with members of No Joke, Fade Away, Despair, Slugfest, and more. Cinderblock played a more progressive and groove-oriented style hardcore and were influenced by bands like Quicksand, Shelter, Inside Out, Verbal Assault, and more. So, they have hit the studio with producer Jay Zabricki to track all their original material for the Breathe the Fire, which will be out this fall on War Records. That is the notes sent to me by my friend Andrew Klein, who is the CEO, founder, curator, master of War Records, who also plays in a little California band called Strife, and he is kicking away at these tunes. And one of the few record labels that doesn't wait for me to say, hey, you know, if you ever have something, let me know, actually sends me stuff, says, hey, can you play this, which some people don't do. And if you were listening, this Cinderblock is an old Vogel band, and this fucking Vogel, he ain't going nowhere. COVID got him out, digging through the an, um, the annals of time, and it's great to hear some bands gonna get together and put new material together. I got some friends too like that. This little band we call Freight Train. Word on the street is is that they uh, got their asses in the studio, and uh, I'm pretty fucking psyched for them. So. Big ups to Cinderblock, War Records, Scott Vogel, Andrew Klein, and be uh, be ready for that freight train to drop. It all started with Bob Wilson getting that demo rolling, getting them shirts made, getting people psyched. Um, let's just take extreme ownership here and say that episode 95 didn't come out because we had released the last episode Episode 12 of The Rule of Three. And I was jammed up with life and didn't want to do The Rule of Three dirty and drop two episodes in the same weekend. So I wanted to give it some breathing time. Probably should have jumped on here and said, hey, listen, we're not going to do an episode. Blah, blah, blah. Check out The Rule of Three instead. I didn't. So that was two weeks ago. And uh, yeah, last week I was dumb and decided that my life wasn't full. So, I worked during the day, then I was getting and going up and working at night, and uh, found myself with no time, sleeping, weird hours, and my ass kicked through the whole week, and didn't pop out an episode, which I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm like the the person that wants to hear these episodes come out more than anyone, and sometimes I jam myself up schedule-wise and do not have it, and then... I got people calling me, hey, I drive home from fucking work and I'm listening to goddamn fucking Billy Joel again. Give me an episode. I'm with you because I got fucking podcasts when it doesn't come out. I'm ready to fucking write my senator and be like, yo, what the fuck is going on here? Because we need a fucking episode. But that's the way it is. And I'm not going to give you a sob story. I could tell you all the bad things going on in my life that probably relate down to me needing more sleep or just zone out or just come home washed. So it's a good point in time to remind you all that no one's perfect and that 
every single person I know has something going on with them, something they're not saying, something they're not posting on the internet. And as we start cruising towards these beautiful things called the holidays, way too many people take this fucking internet so fucking seriously. They see something on the they see something on the post and they go, "I don't have that." Why does everyone else but me have that? No one's posting losses. No one is posting just empty fridges, empty homes. And um, you're never going to hear from 99% of the population the things that aren't going right. All you're going to see is the things that are going right because people will champion successes and hide failures. Um, one of our future guests that I'll be getting with soon, Andrew Thorpe King, his book Failure Rules just came out. That's a must. Li- it's a must read. Um, but yeah, I've failed in putting out two podcasts, and I failed throughout my life. I continue to fail, and I find that the only way that we get better is through failing. So when he told me his book's called Failure Rules, it's like oh, that basically mantra of my fucking existence at this point in time. So yeah, if you missed me, if you really want me to continue this, thank you. I'm actually shocked to hear from people shocked that people were like hey where the fuck is this episode felt like I fucking owed the landlord a rent or something but that's the way it is right Uh, all I can do is apologize say I'll do better I'll make more time I'll try to fit some better scheduling in and again I could I could go to this this reason that reason but there's still no reason there's enough time in the schedule I'm just not doing what I need to do And I will be hard on myself and say I will be more consistent going forward. Hey, uh, talking about things that I am consistent with, a very turn of events that are kind of not egotistical but honest, you know, we're still cranking out jams over here. I don't know about where the fuck you live or where the fucking part country you're from. Out here in Pennsylvania, we fucking get shit done. Just announced last week, but since I wasn't doing a podcast, I didn't talk about it. Saturday, December 17th at Club Reverb in Reading, Pennsylvania. Holiday Jam. You can follow us at, at Keystone Hardcore Jam, HC Jam. Terror, that's Scott Vogel. Master of many projects, but leader of the one, the only Terror. Life Agony, that's right, son. Life of fucking agony. Agnostic front. Strife. Wisdom and chains. Bulldoze. Yes, bulldoze playing. In memory of Kevin Sia. Kev won. People jumping on the stage, grabbing that mic, keeping the spirit of the band alive. It's going to be great. This band, Shadow Realm. Death Before Dishonor. End it. Carried by Six. Missing Link. Hold My Own. Kings Never Die. Fool's Game. Street Struck. And Days Lost. That's right, Saturday, December 17th, a little holiday Christmas jam. You might remember from 2019, you had to be off for 2020, which we didn't want to do, but we had to. We are back strong in 2021, and we're back again. Tickets are going. Don't miss out. Don't be a chooch. You ain't going to see too many stacked bills like this in this part of the country. And there's a lot of stacked bills coming, so it's pretty fucking incredible. If you are from Philadelphia, some of you listeners, or you guys like traveling to Philly like so many of you do, man, we got something for you. Saturday, October 8th, Varials, 
This is the band that will not quit. Lineup changes, little time off. They came back, kicked some ass the Friday of This Is Hardcore at the Underground Arts. Now they're headlining the church. Boundaries, Orthodox, Distinguisher, 10 Slugs. Doors at 6 p.m. at the First Unitarian Church. Then, oh, that's a 6 p.m. show, by the way. Then, Sunday, October 9th, Life's Questions. This is for the awesome word full of record release. Featuring Regulate, Three Knee Deep, Hangman, Invoke, Fixation, Carried by Six. The doors are at 4 p.m. So, two shows, The Church, Don't Sleep on It. Got a lot more coming up. Um, Carbonite did their record release. Uh, we have so much cool shit. The, the thing to do is to follow us at phillyhcshows.com. It's not just me. It's Bob Wilson. No longer Young Buck. Now full-ass stallion chilling it right now with fucking shows left and right all over the fucking place. AXBX out there kicking it. Ben Soupy Butt Stucky out there killing it. We just love putting on shows out here in Philly and Pennsylvania in general. Make sure you follow us, phillyhcshows.com. And also we do a little festival that shares the namesake of this podcast called This Is Hardcore Fest. Be sure to follow that because we're getting close. Might have some news soon. Might not. But um, you always want to follow us. Lots of cool shows this fall into the winter. That's right. Tell me somewhere that has it better than PA. I'll wait. I ain't gonna hold my breath because I'll fucking die, but I'll wait. Now, again, going back to what I said, we did release the last episode of the first season of Rule of Three, but we are working hard to bring you season two. <laughs> yes, we're going to be having new episodes. I don't know shit about what Broad Street Breakdown's up to. Frankly, it pisses me off. But I do know that Vinny, he ain't stopping. That Vinny has a whole entire new LP coming out in November. And you don't want to miss this. You know, every time Vinny, Vinny not only does Jedi Mind Tricks, but he also does the Vinny Pass solo records. And sometimes his solo shit has some amazing guests and just goes off, man. Something cool. Glad he still does this. Make sure you're checking it out. So much is going on. I feel like... When we have these gaps, I don't stay up on it. So all I can say is say, hey, we're back. We're being me and my dog on the couch, rocking out with the solo shit. And um, it's funny because I put something on Twitter that relates to my mindset here when I was thinking about shit that I would like to get off my, my chest. When I was going to shows as a kid, shows meaning not just rock concerts, but like the local death metal shows and what would become the precursor to me being the one and only Joe Hardcore, you know, everybody wore boots. Not just because, you know, it was cool, it was metal, but like there was a strategic function function to boots. Like if you're at a show somewhere and you're trying to mosh it up and you're small and there's all these big ass people and they all got boots, your fucking toes are fucked up. I remember I tried to put these sambas on, and um, yeah, my fucking top of my foot was black and fucking blue from some fucking jackass just fucking stepping on it. And, and I can remember, I'm going to say, I, I said in 97 on the tweet, 
But, I mean, it really was starting to get around that time where sportswear and all this other goofball shit started permeating into hardcore, fucking up the flow of these amazingly stupid Adidas shell tops that were ubiquitous for the time. And, and you know, I'll be honest. I, I look in a mirror and I look at, like, clothes and I don't try to put together an ensemble. I'm not a well-put-together guy. And... um I've never, if someone, if 40 people are wearing, wearing Adidas shell top sneakers, I don't want them. If Sambas are cool, I don't want, whatever that's cool, I don't really need them. Unless I personally like them or I was already fucking with them. Like if I'm on my own shit and someone comes over and wants a rocket through, that's fine. I ain't going to change the game up. But I was never really into it, like following, especially aesthetics. And uh, in this Lace Code Twitter, tw- TikTok time of talking about shit, I realized like, some of this has to be just interesting for kids because they just don't fucking know. They don't fucking actually know like that so many people in hardcore like legit just wore boots because that's what fucking people wore. And um there's a slew of things and and I and I yeah, you could definitely take this every single part of hardcore punk regionally more so than anything depending on the time of year you're going to see different things and i find that twitter now has a grip on not twitter let's just go with social media all because instagram plays heavily into this tiktok unfortunately starting to put its ugly feet into the world but like there is a, a way that i don't feel like hardcore has a very homogenous or has a very homogenous like appearance, not just in the people, but in the shows. Like I talked about it a couple times, especially with the ACE where like some of these smaller fests are basically the same five bands just on another fest. And, and I liked going to Chicago and having to see stuff that would never be a part of someone else's shit. And I liked going to different places and, and seeing something. And I think like, Big shout-outs to Salt Lake City for just never being anybody but Salt Lake City. Unequivocally, those guys in Reno really just stayed who the fuck they were. You know, it's like the towns that just never really... Not that they didn't like the other bands, because they liked everybody who came through. And if you're a band that wants to play somewhere where people go off, Salt Lake City still is the place to play. But, like, you go to Salt Lake City and you're not in San Francisco... Dallas, you know, Boston, you're in fucking Salt Lake, and you need to remember that. And I feel like that's not so much the case as the internet has homogeneously created a culture where people coming in because of the influence of the internet, the local culture is still being massively influenced by what they see on the internet versus what they can create. And the whole thing on this goddamn podcast that we've always talked about is creating your own shit, doing your own shit, being the masters of your own universes. Do I say mistresses of the universe? No, that would sound like a weird BDSM thing. But no matter how you lay in the spectrum of uh, pronouns and such, it's it's your destiny, your universe, your, your output. You know, obviously you want to 
do stuff that you like and you might be influenced by the internet. But remember that it's just your own shit. You don't have to do what you see on the internet. You could be your own person. Um, I find in a weird way that this might be one of the first times that I can recall maybe sometimes during the Obama administration. Maybe also when during the Obama administration. Unless it was with the war. This is a crazy first time in hardcore I've seen people punk people choosing pro-government, pro-U.S. government war over anything else. And it's like a weird time because for those of you old enough to understand or smart enough younger folks, you got John Hinckley Jr. on the Twitter trying to do a show and sell T-shirts. Who could have, There's a good argument he has the greatest stake in being the most punk rock motherfucker because he didn't just hate Reagan. This motherfucker tried to cap Reagan and it didn't work out. Though he did shoot that guy and give us the Brady Bill and all this nonsense. But I feel not at odds because I don't care. I, you know, at the end of the day, when I lay my head down and I, I'm not like, that fucking Biden, <laughs> go go Brandon, whatever they say, let's go Brandon, whatever. Um, But like... I, I, it, whoever's at the top doesn't really change most of what goes on in my life for the most part. I do have to worry about when I go into work and the fucking dude chain smoking with the fucking bang in his hand comes up and starts dropping whatever he heard on the news last night at me. That's about the most that the, the politics interest or hit me at work. But, you know, you look at all the our forefathers in this punk thing. Dude, they fucking hated that Reagan. Hated a Reagan. And they weren't really happy with Bush. And the 90s was really hard on the crime bill. It, you know, the there's a lot to be said in the Clinton time. And then, you know, we had another Bush. And Hardcore was loving hating him. In fact, I remember, I think... It was like DFJ and what the fuck was the name? It's going to kill me. I forget the name of the band and it's going to kill me now. But Ian Ian uh, from Reach the Sky had this band and uh, with DFJ and it was completely all about do not reelect George Bush. <laughs> when it happened, it was like our band's over. Politics is such a, a, a domineering thing on social media. But I find hardcore people not challenging war to be very bizarre. <laughs> I find it fucking crazy bizarre. I find it super crazy bizarre that the same, I won't call them children, but the same people who are really into lace code and really into internet shit that they didn't know until they read it on the internet ignoring just certain blatant insignias on certain uniforms and just being like nope we've got to fight for these people <laughs> it's just such a bizarre time and then i wonder like is hardcore at a point where it's only the outside like i was talking about the boots are we now at the point where this is completely about consumerism
I mean, you know, my love to Elliot and Sammy and everybody in Gulch for what they did and the way they fucking mind fucked the hardcore scene in like two years, actually th- three years now. And it's like that band was a band they said for years, and then one day. They were the band. They put out a fucking, they put out a spinning top with one of them pieces of rope to spin. 700 kids who have never used a top is going to buy this motherfucker. It's wild. But, you know, is this all a projection of image? Is this all a projection that people are trying to broadcast to the world? You know, I mean, sociologically and also psychologically are people inwardly feeling one way so outwardly projecting this and or has that always been the way I mean there's a thousand things to be said about trauma and reaction but there's also people who value the aesthetic of being a menacing figure or looking like a menacing figure, or just being like one of those goofy asshole butterflies with like wings that look like fucking cobras or something nuts. Which yes, that's I didn't make that up. That's actually a fucking thing. Like, there's been so many people I can think of that look a certain way that you think that all they do is fucking eat bowls of uh bowls of nails with no milk for breakfast. And really, they're softer than fucking warm butter. But the aesthetic, the outward look, really does dominate now. And I think projection on the social media, which we've talked about a lot on the show, plays heavily into this. But I wonder where where this goes. Like, where does where does this culture go if the influence is out being in like we were the we've we've talked about this again hundreds of hours of talking about how influential the subculture primordial ooze would be to eventually create things that would become giant influences in the world music i mean to quickly jump into that but not go crazy because we've talked about it there's a million better books and better people to talk to about it than myself is that you know the things that the hardcore scene grew to be from the early 80s into the late 80s would be the awesome underground network for touring and DIY zines and DIY shows that would be the fertile ground to nurture these kind of bands. Like, for instance, the easiest one would be like the Sonic Use. And, you know, later the Nirvanas and all these things that would come into play to be massively influential to pop music. But were you know, in a weird way, you know, these people who were just talented young kids found influence from records and bands from the 1980s would be the, you know, challenge to the big rock machine of the late 80s and early 90s, and then you'd be the usurpers of power. It's always like these great stupid publicists, or not publicists, but um, journalists is the word I was looking for. Journalists who wrote about how grunge killed metal. 
And it's like, I don't know, pussy. There's about seven grunge bands that can fill an auditorium. And there's probably about seven metal bands that can still fill an auditorium. Uh, But, you know, there's thousands of thriving metal bands that play to anywhere between 1,000 to 5,000 people. And I think grunge had a really limited basis because it was a thing that got sucked immediately into the big war machine of, you know, big labels. And when I get that motherfucking Mike Gitter back on this show, we're going to get into that and be like, what do you think? So Gitter, get your fucking notes ready. But hardcore really is that beginning primordial ooze or that, you know, those like people that save all their apple scraps and like make this fucking crazy box bed for fertile things. Like that's what hardcore was and so much jumped out of it. But now the people who are finding the way to us from the internet are taking internet and shoving it back down our tube and kind of, I think, clogging up not only the progress, but some of the flow of thinking. Or maybe it's just that the people today can't exist with thoughts that aren't born from the internet. And myself... I'm guilty of this because I'm talking about shit on the internet on a podcast that's going to be on the internet. So I get it. But a lot of my views are still from past things and contrast and comparisons and stuff that I take from the perspective and mindset of someone who was born in 1980, going to rock concerts by the time I was 10 years old, going to small rock concerts for death metal stuff, and then finding hardcore and <laughs> my... <laughs> like barely out of seventh grade into eighth grade and then the rest is fucking history you know like my my fucking world is shot but i see too much influence from this mainstream goofball culture and these internet born ideas that get turned on our culture and i just go why the fuck we listen to anybody And, and and again i say this because the irony has to be clear no one has to listen to me right now. Like you can turn this fuck you, Joe. Turn this shit the right the fuck off right now. That's totally good. I'm with it. If you said, "Hey, you got to that point where you said that," so I just turned it off. I'm like fuck yeah, do what you want to do. But then so some kind of weird because I told you to turn it off, right? But that's the thing. Are are we are we still ourselves? Are we still are we a delianation? Are we a watered down version of ourselves? Are we are we still the culture? Or are we allowing? And I think I, I lean that we're we are still what we are at its core, the core of the core, so to speak. But that there's too many dick bags and losers who have parents who wanted them to go to college so they get a job at some fucking goofball online place that's called a magazine, but it's not. It's a it's a fucking website. And somebody like a Madison or a Juice or a Sonny could have made 10,000 of these fucking... I guarantee you, actually, Sonny could build an AI that could literally write music articles quicker than some of these fucking dumbass journalist website people now. With their click, with their clickbait titles and their, you know, hot topics of the day. And, and it all is so repetitive. It's like... There's like four ideas and they're spread across like 10 different platforms, but they're sucked up by 
20,000, 40,000, 50,000 actual people that go to shows, but then read by like half a million people who are just like, I'm a subculture person, but really they're not. You know, like there was an article, it was like, turnstile, blah, 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 makes hardcore boys mad. It's like, no, they don't. They don't make anybody mad. They're fucking people that are thriving in their own space and still finding themselves as musicians. And I seen a fucking show from theirs on the internet with these giant screens and it looked like something out of some K-pop shit. Just a presentation of the giant screens behind them. I have no idea. I was It was like one in the morning when I don't look at the internet with sound on unless it's fist fights or shit talking. But I'm like, damn, this motherfucker's got big. They got this giant ass LED screens behind them. It was fucking nuts looking. I'm like, damn, this is some next level production for them. Good for them. But to go back to the original train of thought was that as the internet and the outside world is domineering and pressing hard into the psyche of the people who are typically somewhere between 17 and 27 who are impressionable by the ideas of the mainstream and the masses, are we losing our against our self? And I have to say we sort of are for the sake that is someone who was in a band Oh, that actually happened. That's right. The kid who's in Inclination. The name had to come to me for a second. Sorry. Tyler says something about Ukraine. On stage, people clap at LDB. It gets to 856. He's got to pull the video down. People are threatening him. They don't even know what's going to happen with the bags. They're so worried about any kind of backlash. And that's what happens. This is what fucking happens. We really let shit that in real life happened and there wasn't pushback months later jump out and people have something to say and then everyone freezes. Oh my God, someone's saying something that disagrees with what we just did and hundreds of people were there and watched and said nothing. Hundreds of people were there and watched this person say this and no one had the inkling, maybe no one knew what the fucking, maybe someone's on their phone. It would be funny as shit if, like, the reason, I was like, I didn't even hear this motherfucker say this. Between songs, he's like, yada, yada, yada. I thought he was going to say some straight-edge shit, so I was, like, swiping Twinder, Tinder or something. Maybe that's what happened. But ultimately, how the fuck can you retroactively go back and go, yeah, you know, what this guy did was wrong because perspective and captivation of an audience that has nothing to do with that guy and has nothing to do with that moment, then there's like people are afraid. And I do think that that's a huge reason why we have a very soft ass presentation besides a very simple out of the box ideas. You know, like you get a band on stage to go, I think we should all have health care. <laughs> no one's gonna be like, yo, my man, fuck you. I don't need health care. Because who doesn't want health care? I'll tell you what, though. I don't want health care from this government. Fucking bums can't get it right. And then they're going to chop it up and give it to the same ridiculous nepotistic avenues and water it down to the point where, you know, I, I will say personally for me, I am lucky as a 42-year-old man who has had union insurance for the last 15 years. 
But as a kid, I was on welfare. Not the kind of welfare where there was like the debit card, but like the stand in line with your mom and get food can- food stamps and cash. The kind of welfare where we could go to the dentist three times a year. Uh, the kind of welfare where we sat for hours till everybody with real insurance got seen. Then we would get seen if we were in an emergency like a broken arm or a broken leg. And um, that's what I came from. That's what I grew up in. You know, it was a learning lesson. And now as an older person who has a union job, and for those who don't know, when you work in the building trades unions, we work X amount of hours per half a year. Some people have it monthly. Every unit has their own rules. My union, it'd be every six months. I have to work at least X amount of hundreds of hours. And each hour pays into our healthcare fund and allows me to have health coverage. And so because I'm taking money that I get paid and I put it towards my health care, I have good health care. So I'm speaking on something that I don't have to deal with, but seeing how the government handles so many things, I would say that a U.S. minded, which is always for profit, the governments are, I mean, the government is essentially a corporation. So serving other corporations and all the actual corruption and grift and payoffs and just people that got to be involved if it's going to happen. I, I don't wouldn't see a U.S. healthcare system that wouldn't be the actual equivalent of how they were supposed to keep sending us those COVID tests and never did. They'd be like, yo, I broke my leg. Oh, yo, man, I was going to put that cast on you, but uh, we'll send it in the mail. Like, there's a lot of hooks in this ocean of arguments and political debates. And I, I deal more with this shit with the three, four, uh, rule of three if you actually want to hear some of these thoughts. But why it pertains to hardcore is that it's an easy idea that everyone should have health care. It's a harder thing to go, well, how does it get paid for? Who manages it? And then what corporate people or what pet project in the government does the government officer hold that position? And who do they favor and who do they alienate based upon political machinations? And that's that nuanced shit you ain't ready for. But the basic principle of this is that you can get on stage and say something. Everybody in public will say nothing. It comes out on Hate Five Six. That stupid, horrible, evil, beautiful, lovable, sunny Hate Five Six does. And then the whole world's after you on Twitter, yelling at you, calling your mom, writing your third grade teacher. Hey, fuck you. You taught this motherfucker about politics. This is all your fault. I'm canceling your child. Give me $86 right now. It's a fucking crazy cycle. So I do feel like the outside world is broken. Like it's a bizarre irony of saying, hardcore so gatekeeped right now. We shouldn't have gatekeeping. We need to build a fucking moat, a fortress, get some of them Mordor guards, get some of that fucking Eye of Sauron happening and stop these motherfuckers from coming in and taking away the ability for people to just say some stupid shit. Now listen, we're all grown here. I get up on stage and I say the wrong thing. Someone will fuck me up if it's really that bad. Or off stage, I may have some talking to. Or, you know, don't matter if it's Joe Hardcore or not. The the level of wrong, there's someone who's like, I don't give a fuck. I got to speak my piece. 
Now it goes right into the court of, let's argue on Twitter. Let's cancel this guy on Instagram. I blocked him and unfollowed him and all this other shit. It's just not, it doesn't have the same teeth. Just like the boots thing. <laughs> Circular ideas, right? Everybody in these sneakers, everyone's got these soft ass feet. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought that was fucking funny. But uh, I did. I made myself pop. But, you know, like seven kids in hardcore allowed to wear boots at a show. Now, instead of being like, you, there was a time when we were like seeing somebody in some dusty ass Chuck Taylors. Like, ooh, man, that man's toes are going to get smashed on the floor. And that's what the fuck it is, right? It's a shift in time. It's a shift in our culture. And it's a time where are we going to be the heavy metal? Are we going to be the ones that, like, stand the test of time? Or are we going to be like the grunge where there's a couple good moments and then it just kind of... You don't hear, you don't meet some fucking 18-year-old kid like, well, I'm really trying to do a grunge band. Because it was a marketing gimmick. It was a marketing gimmick with a term that was sellable to the mass media through publicists and the journalists ate it up because it gave them stories to write. Here is why the death of metal will happen. And it's saved. I remember reading shit because early on, I would get epi- uh, actual subscriptions of um, metal magazines. And I would take the posters or just take cool pictures from the magazines and and just put tape on the wall. I had two silk screen, not silk screen. What are those uh those big fucking banners? I don't know. Uh, whatever the word is. Not silk screen, but it's like I had Metallica and I had and I had Guns N' Roses. Those were the two ones. Like that was the shit. Um and my mom being a hair person and into that shit, we had Metal Edge, we had Hit Parader, and I would find um, magazines of Kerrang! later on, and then, like, once I got hip into Metal Maniacs, that was kind of it. Um, and so, you know, you would get these great articles about these bands, but no one was, maybe maybe for the time, or maybe because I was young, you gotta remember, we're talking 9, 10, 11, 12 is when I'm getting these magazines. Like, I never felt like there was a moment where I was being sold uh, clickbait because there wasn't anything to click and there was no bait. I was the market. I was the the intended end user. So they just gave me the shit. But now, like, they'll post this this gimmick with this Willow who was like, it's time for metal to not be gatekeeped by white old men. It's like... Well, I mean, your dad's one of the most famous actors in the world who came from being one of the most popular rappers in the world. And you could have easily been raised by Ozzy Osbourne, but instead you were raised by a different kind of Ozzy Osbourne. And so she was saying, like, she wasn't, she never seen a rock, she never seen a rock band until her mom played one. It's like, yeah, because. Your fucking parents are fucking elite weirdos who decided that she should move her career to rock and roll. And that's why the fuck you didn't see a rock band 
until your mom was in one because your parents didn't give a fuck about rock and roll. You know, you think Will Smith is out there in the fucking pit for Pantera? He ain't fucking going crazy for Cowboys for Hell. He ain't putting his fucking horns up with Ronnie James Dio, Willow. So no one's gatekeeping shit. Your parents are fucking elite millionaires. So you weren't raised in metal, you retard. But this is the kind of shit that people cover metal. You don't read about tours and you don't like get good interviews. You get clickbait. You get bullshit. So then dumb assholes like me comment on it. Now I'm smart. I ain't going to fuck my algorithm up. But I'll complain about it a lot on this podcast. So if you don't like that shit, go fucking click on that shit and complain about that. But I just read this shit like, you know, like decibel comes from the right place, but it's the same thing. The soft, soft journalism, soft publications, all about advertising. Um, going back to a third thought that was previous on other podcasts, like no one could stand up right now to the test of a maximum rock and roll fucking review. I put that Life's Questions up, give it to some sassy motherfucker, it's gonna rip it apart. Josh Life's Questions is gonna get on a fucking treadmill, get his fucking whole life together, be like, I can't believe people hate my fucking band so much. Fucking hardcore is not built on the foundation of fuck you anymore. Because no one really wants to say fuck you. They want the finger up in the air. They all this like, lit cigarette in the mouth or beers in their hand. I'm a badass, but they still they cry if they got a bad fucking review. Or if someone didn't really like what they had to say. Or someone didn't... People don't agree with me all the time. And a lot of it is perspective. Or as we would say, it is a subjective disagreement versus an objective disagreement. Objective being much different than subjective. You're subject to what your perspective and personal inclinations are. So yeah, you're going to maybe disagree on a perspective. However, there's things that are objectively solid, factual, that some people will not have a reference to. And then you guys aren't even on the same point to talk about it. But today, we are dealing with hardcore folks who would be more willing to say nothing out of fear of somebody going on a hate by six comment four months later and be like, that guy's against Obama. He's clear. I mean, Obama, the guy's against Biden. I bet he's a let's go Brandon type. And it's really probably someone like, hey, you know, I know we all don't want Donald Trump anymore, but hey, uh, we don't want nuclear war, Biden. And people might clap like, yeah, we don't want nuclear war. Four months later comes out. Oh, wow. Great. Now I'm a Trumper. That's how this fucking world works and it shouldn't work. But here we are, dealing with the converging counterpoints of all these things. We are going to always be, and this is a returning thought from the analog culture in a digital world episode, like 10 episodes or something back or something, maybe even more at this point. I actually can't remember the actual number, where as we interface in real life, we are still having to curtail ideas, thoughts, um, artistic expressions and motivations in a real life format because the internet dominates everything. Social media dominates everything. Physical perception is so subjective and online is where the scathing points happen. It's like, again, it goes back to the whole, like, you know, there might be some fights at shows, but now we don't have to have a fight at show. You know, get kicked in the chest like a Luke Kang kick in fucking Mortal Kombat. Or like if Jean-Claude Van Damme kicked you and then he goes, ah, 
for like 10 minutes after he kicks you. You just go on the internet and talk shit about him four hours later when your chest gets built back together by the doctors. No factor, right? And, and that's really what happens. Like The internet is where the real happens, and then the world is the playing out of all the shit. It, it's, it confounds me. I don't know where this goes in this stream of thought fucking episode, but for me... I want to remind you that if you do believe in something, you're allowed to believe it. You're allowed to say it in real life. And if it ends up on a Hate Five Six video, all the dickheads in the comments just can't beat you. They can't stop you unless you stop you. If you have someone who's your friend, is like I can't fuck with you no more because you know you said this thing about nuclear war, but people think you're a Trumper. So like, that person's not a friend. It's like a person who follows you all social media. So then you're required to like everything they like, and they comment, you comment, they retweet, you retweet. Next, you know, you're sending shit back and forth. It's a fucking cycle. You don't even know this fucking cat's real name. You just know him as at you know the real dude eighty seven B one dash eight. You could be your own self with your own mind. And you can have thoughts. It's And again, like one of the greatest ideas in the world is a dude, the greatest man with ideas. I skipped a couple words there. Zach Elmer just doesn't give a fuck. Mobile Terror Unit is more of an ensemble cast. I If I, if I hit the lottery, I'm giving this dude a $10,000 budget every time he plays a show in front of like 50 people. Just because the shit he does is so different. Because he doesn't give a fuck. Someone writes something about him on Hate Five Six. He doesn't change his whole look. I mean, the man was out there calling out Henzo Gracie on Twitter and actually got replied to. So, speaks volumes for Zach. And I think that's the lesson here is that more people today are influenced and afraid of the call, the call to arms from the internet, than being real in their heart in real life. And I, you know say that a couple times and, and you know you know it's a confluence we're at a confluence here between doing what we know is in our heart but then curtailing editing censoring diminishing the point of view so if it was taken to a digital scope no one gets dragged out in a 28-hour assault on character. And that just don't sit right with me. And we're going to work on it. And I, I can only tell you that I'm happy that I'm back podcasting. And thank you for the people who called me, chided me, threatened me. I had somebody come by my house with a fucking bag big enough to stick Abel. Luckily, Abel's too fucking slow to run. He's getting old, so they're like, oh, that dog's slow. I don't have to go over and jump the fence and carry his fat ass over it. But, you know, I'm happy I'm back. I'm sorry. And make sure you go to TAACpodcast.com, and we will have more. And good fucking bye. <laughs>